to Liberation. I am your host, LaCroix Hatcher. Liberation presents Wes McAdams. Wes, the author of four books, serves as the evangelist to the Church of Christ on McDermott Road in Plano, Texas. In this episode, Wes will talk about what inspired him to preach. We will also talk about his website, Radical Christian, and how it came about. We will also discuss his ministry style, the Bible study podcast, and the topic of grace. Please enjoy the show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I have a gentleman with me who uh, has worked in the ministry for quite some time. Uh, it's very inspirational to the people out there. Uh, we're going to talk to him about what it is to be a radical Christian. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, his books that he has written uh, over the years. Uh, tonight I have with me a minister of the uh, McDermott Church of Christ. I have Wes McAdams. Brother McAdams, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing well. Thanks for having me, brother. All right. Good to have you. Um, I must say, um, uh, early on in the new age social media, um, when I first started on Twitter, you were, I don't know how I came across, um, your Twitter feed. I don't know if it's just different links to the Church of Christ, uh, but I really enjoyed a lot of the things that you put on Twitter. I still do. Uh, but there's a lot of good inspirational quotes. Um, and I found that your website, which we'll get into, help provide a lot of, um, not only a lot of inspiration, but a lot of explanation, uh, to the lives that we lead as Christians on a day to day basis. Um, so with that being said, um, before Wes was a minister, before he was a podcaster, before he was an author, um, uh, what brought you to the Lord's Church? Oh, wow. Great question. I, I grew up um, in Churches of Christ. Uh, my grandparents, some of my great-grandparents, probably even some of my great-great-grandparents. So I've, for several generations, uh, we've been part of Churches of Christ. And um, so my parents uh, raised us all over the country. We moved around a lot. So I've gotten, I've gotten to be a part of a lot of different congregations in a lot of different parts of the country. Um, some as far north as like Wyoming and Colorado and, and then in the south, like Arkansas and Texas, New Mexico. And so I've gotten to move around quite a bit and, uh, get to know brothers and sisters all over the country. That's good. That's good. So where are you, where are you originally from or state? Well, I graduated high school in Kansas. That was kind of where we landed, but we moved around a lot before then, but that's kind of where, where we ended up. Okay. Okay. Uh, so uh, what led your path to um, ministry? What inspired you to do that? That's a great question. I um, I was at the Sunset uh, International Bible Institute um, okay. World Evangelism Forum that they had there for years, and and uh, I our preacher that that I grew up with uh, took us down to Sunset uh, to the school of preaching there and and to that that workshop, and there was a guy preaching, and it was one sermon that really was really the moment where I decided, you know, this is, this is it. This is what I need to do. They, they were focused on missions and, and focused on being a part of what God's doing in the world. Uh, he had this sermon, uh, his name was Richard Rogers, and he preached this sermon where he said that we all need to either go down into the well of human despair or hold the rope for those who do. And I mean, it was, it was one of those things that, that it just, 
it, it struck me. Uh, they had a, a world population clock uh, at that forum that showed, I think it was 7 billion maybe at the time, maybe it was 6 billion, I forget, but it, it clicked over the billion mark while we were there. Um, and just recognizing how, how many people are lost and how many people need Jesus. And mm-hmm. it really made a huge impression on me. And I decided I didn't know how I was going to be in ministry. I, I assumed I was going to do mission work. That was kind of the assumption in the beginning. Um, I ended up going into youth ministry really early on. Uh, but I've been in ministry ever since I got out of high school. Wow. Wow. So um, did you plant your roots as far as your um, ministerial education with Sunset or did you end up somewhere else? I ended up somewhere else. I, I started I got an opportunity to be a youth minister or intern uh, right after high school, like two days after I graduated high school. I, I did a summer internship. Uh-huh. And, and then they hired me to to stay on full time, and so I ended up staying there for over a year, and um, and and then I took another youth ministry job right on the heels of that, and so I I ended up only getting my community college classes in uh, during those days, and uh-huh. after I got married, uh, and we I started my first preaching work, then I I found an online Bible school, uh, now it's called Amridge University, and so I got my Bible degree through Amridge. Okay. I was able to get it online. Okay. Yeah, I, w- um, I know we talked um, briefly before I hit record, but um, I was taking uh, some classes through uh, GSOP, um, Georgia School of Biblical Studies and, and Preaching. I did uh, some shared classes there and uh, a few things through World Video Bible. Oh, good deal. Uh, um, so you've been in the ministry since you were 18 years old. Um, and speaking of when I first saw you on Twitter, you were at the Baker Heights, if I'm, if I'm remembering accurately. That's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Baker Heights congregation. <laughs> Thank you. Usually my memory is worth nothing. <laughs> um, so is this, it was Baker Heights your first full-time ministry or, um, as, as the, no. okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I started, I started youth ministry in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and then I took another youth ministry job in, in Midland, Texas. And then my wife and I, after we got married, I got out of youth ministry and uh, we took a preaching job in northeast Arkansas. So we kind of went back to Arkansas. And then we ended up back at the congregation where I started from in Hot mm-hmm. Springs. Uh, and then and then we went to Baker Heights. Uh, so so I've been at several different congregations over the last 20 years or so. And um, but, uh, yeah, I was at Baker Heights for about five years preached okay. there for a while before I came to the Dallas area. Okay. And you know what, let me ask, I've, I've interviewed maybe, uh, maybe six ministers altogether. And I don't think I've ever asked this question. How, um, how grueling is it to have to move from place to place? Um, mm. And, you know, I'm not going to assume any of them were on bad terms, but just in general, how grueling is it on your, on your spouse and your family to have to move from place to place? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I hope, I hope I never have to do it again. That's how grueling it is. I, I really, I really hope that, and, and really we left on good terms every time. There was, there was always a good reason. Um, it wasn't that we were ever leaving a place. It was that we were going to a place. We felt like, uh, it was time to, to be somewhere else and do something else. So it was never that we felt like we had to leave, but it was that we felt like we had to go, if that makes sense. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's, you feel like with other, with other changes of job, 
a lot of times if you change a job, you don't necessarily have to change where you live. And if you change where you, 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 uh, you work, you don't necessarily have to change your church family. And so in other careers, people don't have to change their home and their job and their church family all at the same time. But when you're in ministry, that you, you lose sort of all of those things all at once. And so, yeah, it's really, it, it can be really tough. And, and while we feel like we've lost some of those things over the years because we've moved, we, we realize at the same time that we're still connected to those people. We still love those people. We're still part of their life and they're part of ours. But yeah, it's really, it's really hard. And, uh, you just, you never know when, when is the right time to, to go somewhere else and mm-hmm. how can God use you in another place in a different way or in a better way than he's using you where you are. And that, sort of that turmoil and that question of when's the right time that's that's always difficult okay and and with that because coming to mind i just recently spoke to uh jerry barber and he uh he's he's been doing a lot of purposeful interim ministries and the reason behind that is because in so many words a congregation will lose their longtime minister if you will and it's not the most pleasant experience for the guy coming after him. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so how, number one, is has that ever been a problem for you? And two, uh, do you know if any of the congregations you've left have experienced that um, preacher remorse, if you will? Mm, yeah. Um, I, thankfully, that has never the, the three congregations where I've been the pulpit preacher, uh, that's never really been a problem. Um, they've never, the, the guys that I followed hadn't been there, like some of the ones Jerry has followed. They haven't been there 20 or 30 years. That's a really difficult situation. And thankfully, I haven't been any place that long, and somebody's had to follow me in that same way. And, and the congregations have been really, really great. This, where I am now at McDermott Road, the congregation here has never said anything poorly about the the preacher that I followed, nor have they said anything that made me feel like I'm not living up to his standards. And so they, they've done a really good job of letting me be me and not comparing me to the last guy. And, and I hope that everybody that has followed me has had the same pleasant experience of we're all different and we're all going to minister different and preach different and, and mm-hmm. think different and talk different. And so every preacher has to be measured according to scripture, obviously, but, but measured by himself and not against somebody else. And so mm-hmm. often we make preaching sort of a comparison thing and we say, well, you're the best preacher I've ever heard, or you're not the best preacher I've ever heard. And we, <laughs> we compare preachers to each other and that's just not fair. It's not a competition. Mm-hmm. It's not a talent show. Uh, you know, it's it's simply preaching the truth and encouraging people to to follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, so you kind of said the words I'm about uh, moving on to McDermott. Um, what spurred the idea? Well, let, let me say it this way. What to you is a radical Christian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, it's so funny. If I, if I told everybody how the name of my blog came about, you know, it, it wouldn't be nearly as impressive because it was really just, uh, it was just finding a URL that sounded, that sounded like it would work, you know, for what I wanted to do. And so, you know, I, 
it was like, oh, radically Christian. Okay, that, that'll work. That'll work. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, and so that, that was really the, 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 the situation behind it was, was really finding a URL that, that would work for, for what I needed at the okay. time, which was providing resources for the youth, the youth that I was, I was ministering to at the time. But I, I really did fall in love with that word. And over mm-hmm. the years, I, it's, it's really grown on me. Uh, the word radical is actually a really powerful word and it, it means to get to the root of something. It, it means to, to, to get down to the, the very core of something. And even the adverb, like my blog title is radically Christian. That, that adverb of radically is like fundamentally or totally or completely Christian. And so, so the idea there is that, is that we've got to be 100%. There is no, I'm going to try or I'm going to, I'm going to dabble in Christianity. There's no dabbling. And all too often, that's how we try to do it. We try to be sort of lukewarm and try to, try to, try to just give Jesus a part of us and compartmentalize our life and say, well, this is the part of me that's spiritual. This is my spiritual life. This is my church life. And then over here I have my work life or my school life or my, my entertainment life. And we can't compartmentalize ourselves like that. It has to be all or nothing. Either we, we give ourselves totally to Jesus or we don't. And so to me, that, that title of the blog has really uh, speaks to that idea that it has to be total and complete and fundamental change. Amen. Amen. I've definitely just admittedly. So, you know, that's been a struggle of mine in the past where you put one foot in and it's almost like testing your foot in the pool to see if it's cold or mm-hmm. hot. You just kind of put your foot in and take it back out and back and forth, back and forth. And it, it's almost more refreshing to just go ahead and dive in. Um, of course, there's moments of self-doubt. Um, a lot of things you're going to be conflicted about because, I mean, the flesh is the flesh. Uh, but to me, no play on words, but it's more liberating to just do it. Um, and and I think a lot of people, uh, if I had to guess, the whole just diving straight in is they feel like, now they have to walk on eggshells with their Christianity and, mm. and almost are afraid to make mistakes. Um, it's either I'm going to live perfectly or it's not worth doing it. And, you know, you, we as Christians are still going to make mistakes. Um, we're still going to, someone's still going to make us angry every once in a while. We're going to think the wrong mm-hmm. thing. Um, you may still, struggle to lose some of those habits that you you've always had in the past and I, and I think that's a that's a lot of the reasons why a lot of people don't want to just dive straight in um they don't want to allow themselves space for grace and that's something I definitely want to talk to you about before we um close out because there's something about your ministry I find refreshing with you using grace but I'll circle back to that um and I think that's, that's a lot of that's that's where the struggle is. You know, we we feel like, you know, we hear the scriptures, um, especially like Paul, um, where it's uh, follow me as I follow Christ. And we feel like if I can't follow what Paul or Christ did, it's you're almost crucifying yourself and you're not allowing yourself space to breathe within your Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that that's one reason why 
the word that the New Testament uses for followers of Jesus is disciple, that when we become a follower of Jesus, it's not that we're signing up for or committing ourselves to a life of perfection. It's that we're signing up for and committing ourselves to a life of learning, a life of being a student, a pupil. That's what a disciple is. It's a learner. And everybody can commit themselves to that. We can't commit. our. Like you said, I think we we feel like once we become a Christian, we're supposed to be perfect now. But that's not the case. When we when we become a Christian, we're committing ourselves to being a student of Jesus to say, "Teach me, Lord. I'm I'm broken. I'm empty. I'm I'm messed up, and I'm foolish. And I need you to instruct me. I need you to show me the way." It's this ultimate act of emptying self. It's it's everything that Jesus describes in the Beatitudes. It's poverty of spirit. It's hungry and thirsty for righteousness. The people that think that they're full of righteousness, they don't have a blessed life. They they can't follow Jesus. It's the people that are hungry and thirsty. It's the people that say, I've got nothing and you've got everything. And so I'm going to follow you. And I think I think you're right. I think we, we so often think that Christianity is a matter of of saying we're perfect or committing to be perfect. And we're never going to be that. But we can right. be faithful followers of Jesus. And then in that relationship, that covenant relationship of following and learning and being committed to obeying Jesus in that committed relationship, then we receive grace and forgiveness for the times that we do mess up and, and fail him. All right. All right. Amen. Um, so let's back to Radically Christian. Let's, um, I want to talk more about your website. Um, well, I'm going to let you talk about everything that encompasses um, radically Christian. Um, I could go on about it, but I would love for Mr. McAdams to say it in his own words. Well, it, it started, it started, like I said, with a, a desire to provide some resources for the, the teenagers that I was ministering to. I thought, you know, it, it'd be, it'd be nice to have a website. And at the time it was sort of web 1.0. It was before the internet was really uh, dynamic and changing all the time. It was before social media. It was, well, I guess social media was a thing. It just wasn't as big as it is now. And, and even the, even the idea of a blog, I didn't know what a blog was at the time. I really just <laughs> pictured a website with maybe a handful of, um, a, a handful of resources, articles. It, I, I was really picturing, you know, the, the, the track, the track rack, uh, the tracked rack. At, at the church building, you know, that has all of the tracks in the back of the, in the back of the church. Uh, yeah. I was, I was picturing sort of a, a modern version of a tracked rack and, and being able to allow teenagers to find a, a, a web, or a, an article and share it with their friends. Well, it evolved over time, both in style and what I was doing. Obviously, I added a podcast later. But it really changed in, in what I was trying to accomplish too. In the beginning, I like to say that in the beginning, I was trying to teach people how to do church, how to how to do church right. You know, the the five acts of worship and the five steps of salvation and, you know, and, and do all of those things, what we do at the church building. Right. And then I realized that Christianity encompasses so much more than just what we do at the church building one or two or three hours a week. Christianity is about what we do 24 seven, 365 days a year. And so it really evolved from being how to do church to how to be the church. And, and I really, over the years, 
tried to adopt more of a posture of a learner than than a teacher because I'm a fellow student and I'm just trying to learn how to follow Jesus and and how to be the kind of person I should be. And uh, when I started, I, I I thought I had all of the answers and I thought I knew everything. And and the more the more I've learned, the more I've realized I, I still have a long way to go. Um, with the blog, um, and I know, you know, when I've uh, talked to brothers like Jack Wilkie, um, it can be kind of tough at times, um, you know, different, differing opinions. Um, some are more aggressive with their pushback than others. Um, what has inspired you to keep it going for as long as you have? Mm. That's a great question. I, and sometimes I don't know. <laughs> That's honest. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I've really, I've really considered throwing in the towel a lot of times, but you know, it's, it's the emails that I get from people that I'll get, I'll get an email from somebody saying they, they printed off my blog articles and shared it with somebody in prison and, and they became a Christian or, you know, somebody in another country, just things that, I can't even imagine how God is able to take this this little nothing thing that I wrote or this little nothing thing that I said, and God is able to use it to do something good. And um, I really feel like every form of ministry, whatever kind of ministry it is, whether it's writing a blog or sending a tweet or you know, preaching a sermon, it's it's a burden. You know, when you when you start, you think it's going to be. Um, you know, sort of st- stepping into the spotlight and it's going to be fun and, and always uplifting. And, you know, it's, it's really a burden to bear. It's a, it's a heavy burden to bear. And, and I, I feel compelled to keep going sometimes. That's not to say it's not rewarding because it is, but, but I do feel like, um, some of the things, if, if I write something now, I only write it because I feel like it needs to be written. If I say it, I feel like it needs to be said. In the beginning, I was just adding to the noise. I was just saying what everyone else was saying. And there's no sense doing that. If somebody else is already saying it, they're probably saying it better than me. And so <laughs> now I feel like if, if I say it, it, I feel like it needs to be said. And, um, and so th- that's why it's, it's really, I feel compelled to, compelled to keep going. That's cool. Um, now let's, um, and, and I'll come back and, and, um, talk about your podcast, talk about your books. Um, when I first listened to you, and I remember, um, wow, this had to have been about three or four years ago. You were still at Baker Heights, and I think you did about a six to eight week sermon breakdown of the Corinthian letters, if I'm not mistaken. And that was actually really, really beneficial because at that point in my uh, return to Christianity, if you will, um, I had kind of been a few years back in, but I, then I started really, really taking it serious. Um, I never heard anyone just sit back and take week after week after week after week and break down each chapter. Um, and I said, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, Wes isn't the typical fire and brimstone type of preacher, especially in the South. Um, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying, which you, you you deal with grace a lot. And based on my history, I don't find that a lot of, of our ministers within the churches of Christ deal with grace a lot. Um, 
what inspired you to go in that direction? Mm-hmm. It, it's exactly what you just said. It's that it's that it was so missing. Um, and and as I read the New Testament, as I read Romans and Galatians, I I realized that this is it. Like it all, salvation is a gift from God. I don't save myself. God saves me. It is a gift of God. And and that truth is so important because in ministry, I found two kinds of people who don't really believe that. And so many Christians fall into one of these two categories. Either they think that they've earned it and they're proud of themselves for earning salvation, or they feel like they have tried to earn it and fallen short of that and are in utter despair. And a lot of times those are the Christians that at one point they thought that they had done it. They thought they had achieved it. They had checked all the boxes and now they're at life's end. And and too many times I've sat with Christians who are dying and they've looked at me and asked me with tears in their eyes, have I been good enough? And my answer is always no. Of course you haven't been good enough. But Jesus has been good enough and Jesus has saved you. Trust in Jesus and he will save you. That's that's the gospel. And so I, I just felt like that's a message that's that is not being it's it's not being driven home into people's hearts and minds. And, and people are either proud of themselves and are um, boasting in their salvation or they are miserable because they're terrified that they're not saved. Not to mention the fact that there's so many people in the world that feel like I've messed up so bad. God would never want me. I, I've, I've been told by so many people I couldn't come to your church building because the, the roof would probably cave in if I walked through the doors. I'm so bad, you know, and it's like <laughs> you're exactly you're exactly who needs to be there. It's for people like us that that uh, that don't feel like we deserve it. It's the it's right. the broken. It's the hungry. It's the poor. This is who the gospel is for. Um, I hope this isn't a loaded question too much. Um, why, why do you feel like a lot of our preachers in our brotherhood are scared to deal with grace like they probably should? I have my own theory. I want to see yours. But I think it's the same thing. It's the same thing that Paul dealt with. Romans 6, I think, addresses exactly the, the fear we have when people start preaching grace. When, when Paul preached grace, when he preached we are saved as a gift from God, then so many people in his audience said, whoa, hold on a second. If, if we're saved by grace, then are you saying we can go on sinning so that grace may abound? Are you saying it's, it's actually a good thing when we sin because the more sin we have, the more grace we get? And, and they were accusing Paul of of saying that you can you could just go on sinning and and people today I think are still afraid that that if you preach grace and you preach salvation by grace then people won't work <laughs> then they won't obey then they won't do the right stuff and we got to keep people afraid so that they'll keep doing the right things well that's not the way Paul operated that's not the way the gospel works the gospel lays down a foundation of grace and then mm-hmm. obedience flows as as act of gratitude where we say because i'm saved i'm going to do all of these these good things for god because of what he's done for me um, and we we live out in obedience our gratitude but i think people so many preachers are are afraid of that not to mention the fact that that i think that they are responding to some of the doctrines that we see in in other religious groups um 
And so we want to make sure we get baptism in there. We want to make sure that we get, you know, all the things we're supposed to do in there, and rightfully so. But in our effort to do that so often, we undermine the message of salvation by grace. Um, I've heard it once uh, coined as um, as a, a form of boogeyman preaching. Uh, um, whereas almost some people are trying to, in their own way, scare people into following. Um, yes. But my theory, and I could be totally off basis, is I see someone like you and you deal with grace a lot. And I think they fear it sounds too much like our denominational friends. Right. Because... In some of their ministries, they deal with grace. You're not saved by works. And then some of them just totally omit baptism altogether. And it sounds too much like them when they're, while they may not have the exact formula, everything they say isn't wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that may be a fear factor where we hammer home, like you said, the five steps, the articles of worship and this, that, and the third, but we don't deal with taking this weight off of the people as if, as Jesus was saying that the Pharisees were doing, you're putting, you're binding all these extra things to the people and, and you're weighing them down. And it's almost like trying to get to heaven. It's like you're reaching the finish line with just your hand out instead of just running through the finish line and being happy about it. It's almost like you reluctantly got there. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think that's exactly right. I think that's, I think that's exactly what's kept. There's so, so much of a fear of and a response to uh, what we hear in other religious groups. And so sometimes we build our theology and the way we talk about salvation and so much about Christianity, we talk about what we're against mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than what we're for. And we assume that people know what we're for. We, they assume that we know the areas where we agree with our Baptist friends and our Methodist friends. And so we've, we've spent so long talking about the things that distinguish us from these other groups that we've really forgotten all of that stuff we have in common. And a lot of that stuff we have in common is the very core stuff. Like this is important stuff. And we, yeah. we spent so long hammering these things that, that distinguish us and rightfully so, but but we've forgotten the fundamentals and the fundamentals are things like salvation by grace. Right. Right. It is there. There's, there's no getting around it. It may not be the end all be all, but it is there. And um, if you're going to uh, preach the whole doctrine, you got to preach the whole doctrine. Um, That's right. So moving on, um, let's talk about your books. Yeah, four books. I haven't come across too many of our uh, preachers in our brotherhood that gets this many books out, uh, with the exception, I think, Wayne Rogers or some of those guys. Um, let's start with, we were just talking about grace, the treasure chest of grace. Let's talk about that. Let's start there. 2011 is when you published that, correct? That's right. Yeah. Uh, if, if you say so, I'm, I'm sure that's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll take that. According to my uh, research, it says 2011. So, um, what what inspired that book? Well, it, you know, it's it's exactly what we're talking about, and and it's it's actually no longer in print. But 
But the reason I wanted to write that book is because I really found a lack of resources of people within our brotherhood that were presenting how we respond to the gospel along with the gospel itself. You know, I, I, there's a lot of resources on hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, but nobody's tying that to what Jesus has done and salvation by grace. And, and I felt like somebody needs to step in there and, and connect the dots for people so that they understand, yes, we're saved by grace, but yes, in order to be saved, we have to respond in faith by being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And so, mm. you know, there needed to be someone to connect those dots uh, that I just felt like were going, it was going unsaid. I, a lot of that stuff, you know, preachers believed and, and, and held to and they would, they would acknowledge, but it wasn't being said. It was more, just preaching about what a person needs to do rather than starting with what Jesus has already done on our behalf. And that's what the good news is, is what Jesus has done for us. And then, and then of course, how we respond to that is also incredibly important. Uh, but I think so often that what Jesus has done wasn't being said. And so I felt like it needed to be said. Okay. Okay. And along with grace, you know, it, 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 we don't deal with the Holy Spirit enough either. Um, which leads me to crucified church problems. <laughs> How was that response to that book? That, that one was really more of a curriculum that we used at Baker Heights that okay. uh, Sam Dominguez and I, who used to be on the podcast with me, uh, Sam and I put together that material for a Bible class that we did at Baker Heights. And it really grew out of, a realization that the way Paul especially, but but Peter as well, dealt with church problems was to reflect on the cross, was to encourage people to imitate the self-giving love of Jesus on the cross. And and when, when the New Testament tells us to follow Jesus, it's always about his self-sacrifice. That, that's, that's how we follow Jesus. And that's how Paul and Peter dealt with every church problem that arose was live out the selfless, self-giving love of Jesus demonstrated on the cross. And so that that book walks through several different passages where the apostles are dealing with different church problems, and that's always the solution, is this cruciform response. Okay, now the one I know I struggle with, walking away from idolatry. Mm. Let's talk about that one. Well, that was a that was a sermon series that I preached, and actually, that 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 the creation of that book is funny because uh, Michael Whitworth uh, published that through his Start to Finish books, and he took the audio versions of my sermons and had them transcribed, and then oh. had them typed out, and so I really had nothing to do with the writing of that book. <laughs> I preached those sermons, but he created the book from them. He asked my permission, of course, and and I was at the Fried Hardeman lectureship. And a lady came up to me and she said, oh, I just got a copy of your new book. And I thought, I didn't write a book. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so so she, she hands it to me. And I said, oh, I said, this is the first copy I've ever seen of this. And she was just so baffled. Like, how could you not have seen a copy of your own book? But that's why. But yeah, that was a sermon series that I preached. Okay. Well, this one I know you wrote because it's in your hand on the website, Beyond the Verse. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> All right, let's let's break that one down. 
Yeah, that one was a, a series of blog posts that I wrote. Um, as I, as I did a, an experiment one year, I, I read through each book of the Bible with the exception of Psalms. I read through each book of the Bible in one sitting or in one day, um, often in one sitting. Uh, but I would read through each book, um, that day. At most, we're talking maybe four to six hours. Uh, but a lot of the books you could read in, in 15 minutes. Um, and so it, it, it really sounds like a big undertaking, but most of the books of the Bible are, are shorter, t- takes a shorter time to read than a movie or a television show. And, and I always tell people, you wouldn't feel like you really watched a movie if you only ever watched it in five minute snippets. You, you really, a movie is designed to be watched, sit down, sit there for two hours and watch it from the beginning to the end. That way at the end, you remember some, some of the things from the beginning and you see how the, the, the director tied everything together from the beginning to the end. But so often when we read the Bible, we're reading a verse here and a verse there or a chapter here and a chapter there. And we're never really seeing how that book, the, the author's train of thought from the beginning to the end and how the spirit is carrying him through that that line of reasoning and the themes that are there and the big picture ideas. And so if we miss those big picture ideas in each book, then we're certainly going to miss the big picture idea of the whole, as they say, meta narrative of the Bible. And so I felt like that's really one of the best ways to read the Bible is to just sit down and read through a book. And so as I did that, um, I would write a blog post with sort of some of my reflections and my summary of that book. And that's that's how Beyond the Verse came to be. Sounds good. Um, in your um, walk through your ministry, um, who's been your inspirations? Mm. And that's a great question. I, I've gotten the privilege to work with so many great people. I mean, you know, I started by talking about Richard Rogers at Sunset and, and he was, a you know, somebody I'd never met. But his sermon inspired me to to preach. And then when I moved to Arkansas and I was a youth minister, I got to work with a great preacher there. His name was Jack Smith. Um, but you know, one of the, one of the two preachers, two, two of the preachers that really inspired me while I was there were two preachers that had long since passed away, but their, their preaching, their sermons on cassette tape that I listened to were Marshall Keeble and mm-hmm. GP Holt. And and their sermons were so powerful, and I had never in my life heard preaching like that. Um, and so it sounds weird to say that that preachers that have long since passed away were some of my mentors, but they really were. And and it was some of that kind of preaching that really inspired me and wanted me to made me want to preach more. Um, and then over the years, I got to work with other great preachers. Mike Vestal, I worked with in in Midland. He was a great guy. Um, and, and just some of the elders and shepherds that I've, I've worked with over the years have just been incredible encouragements to me. And, uh, some of the deacons, the, the podcast when it started in, in Abilene, uh, Sam Dominguez and James Sumners and Cameron McElyay were some of the deacons that, that worked with me on that podcast originally. And, and they were huge inspirations. So God has put all kinds of great people in my life over the years. That's good. That's good. I know the, uh, Outside of some of the, you know, the stuff I saw you do on Twitter, I think one of the things, two people that lit a fire up underneath me, um, Brad Harrop 
um, and his truth about origins because it answered a lot of the things I used to think when I was a teenager, like, well, duh. <laughs> and then to have the proof to back it up was phenomenal to me. Um, and John Shannon out of Memphis, Tennessee, <laughs> he not only makes me laugh, but he makes it so plain as day. Like you have to purposely miss what he's trying to say because I, he's, he's putting it in good layman's terms and then he has the illustration in the back for you. So, uh, I love those two guys. Uh, and I guess lastly, um, we talked about the website, um, talked about your books, um, your Bible study podcast, since we've been dealing with, um, you know, studying books and like you mentioned, just sitting down and just reading it. Um, talk about your Bible. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, um, but tell people, uh, about your podcast. And I, you know, I found it to be really, really helpful. And I also, um, listened also in tandem to one of the congregations. You, I mean, one of the, um, one of the ministers you just recently, uh, did a interview not too long ago as far as churches and our differences from congregation mm-hmm. to congregation. I want to say, was it Scott you were talking to? If I'm not mistaken. Oh, it could be Scott Elliott. Yeah. Bingo. Um, now is that, that's not part of the Bible study podcast, is it? Or that's. It was, yeah. It was a, it was a a series that I did called Hope for the Future of the Church. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so let's let the people know about your podcast. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's evolved over the years. It used to be called Crosstalk and now it's, (laughs) uh, it's called the Bible study podcast. And, and when we started, it was, it was spiritual conversations and, and that was really good. And, and then it really kind of, we got sort of off track, I felt like, and we were just doing sort of interviews and people had a soapbox they wanted to talk about. And so they, Hey, can I come on your podcast and talk about this thing? And so I'd have them on the podcast and I just felt like we really need to give back to scripture and we need to Mm. study. And even if we talk about a topic, that's fine. Um, Like we talked about hope for the future of the church and some of our differences that we have and things that concern us. But let's get into the text and let's really let let scripture shine some light on where we are and where we're going. And so um, sometimes it's me and and our content editor, Travis Pauly, and, and we talk about something that a text that's been on my mind or somebody has sent in and asked a question about. Um, but sometimes I'll have on fellow preachers or or just different Christians and we'll talk about talk about different uh, passages of scripture or topics in light of scripture. But. Yeah, we have all kinds of different Bible studies on there. Yeah, uh, uh, I like the way that's driven, and I and I leave those type of podcasts to experts like you guys, um, and, and I find it very beneficial. I find you know what, what you guys do, um, think deeper. Um, even um, Steve, he has uh, simply revised podcast. There's a lot of good podcasts where you just get some good. Bible verse breakdown. Um, and I, I really enjoy listening to it. It's easy to digest. Um, I feel like you guys don't speak over the people's head. Um, and, and it's well driven. You guys take the time to think out your thoughts and, and you really talk about topics that, you know, that matter to our spiritual journeys from day to day. Um, and I, and I commend you on that um, podcast and I enjoyed it. I was two seconds from calling it cross talks. <laughs> I almost did it. Um, because I listened to it when it was cross talk as well. Um, 
but uh, Brother McAdams, that's all. I'm not going to hold you today. Um, you, I don't know how you find enough time to carve out for all the things that you do. Um, but praise God for the for the work that you put in. Um, and I find you to be very very inspirational. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure thank the kingdom you. loves you as well as you told me how many uh, listeners to your podcast. I wish to get there one day. Um, any well, keep any up new up the great work, brother. Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying. Any new books coming anytime soon? No, no, that's something I haven't had time to 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 really do. I, I I've always got a, about a dozen ideas, but uh, but nothing anytime soon. You deserve a break. You deserve a break. Um, you have a good night, sir. I thank you very much, and I plan on being in touch with you later on. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at Liberation underscore pod. Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by DeVita. Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity. Shop Doodlebugs at doodlebugsbydevita.square.site. And for the Etsy lovers, it's doodlebugsbydevita.etsy.com. Use the promo code LIBERATION and get 10% off your order. Follow Doodlebugs on Twitter at doodlebugs for you. That's doodlebugs, the number four, the letter U. And Instagram, doodlebugs by DeVita.